you know, I'm just very, very excited to have uh, Brian on stage today. Brian, how are you doing today, today, brother? Can you hear me? I am awesome. Hopefully you guys can hear me. I am coming to you uh, from Bozeman, Montana. And uh, no, we're doing great. It's a, it's a pleasure to be talking with you in the audience today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you for your time. I'm very excited to talk to you. And uh, Brian, for the folks who know you, um, can you please introduce yourself? Let us know, you know, what what your company is and, you know, essentially what is Portex Logistics? Sure, sure. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version so I don't yes, go on sir. for the whole hour. <laughs> but um, so Portax Logistics was founded October 2nd of 2017. We specialize in drayage, transloading, and over-the-road trucking. Uh, often it's said that we're the easy button for, for hauling uh, containerized cargo 2,000 miles in two days, and we do that through um, – you know, our, our standard operating procedures, um, and we have it all tracked on our uh, awesome technology platform called Turbo. So, again, um, specializing in, in expediting containerized cargo, but it comes in multiple modes, the, the drayage, the transloading, and the trucking. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us that foundation, brother. Um, all right. So, 2000, 2017. That is, uh, you know, I feel like you've done a lot since then. It's only, it's only, it's less than five years, and I feel like you've accomplished a lot. What do you attribute that right there to? Well, I've, I've, I'm still fairly young, but I have a, a lot of experience. I started uh, super young in the industry. I founded a company uh, at 23, sold it by the time I was 30, um, worked uh, doing some consulting work within the industry. Um, so when we started Portax, we had some very um, common goals from the leadership team that we wanted to do. We had four foundational pillars, culture, service, tech, and trucks. Um, we knew there was a better way to do things internally and externally, better way to treat our people, better way to treat the customers. And for all of us at Portax, we work really, really hard. But at the end of the day, like if you're going to put in 10 to 12 hours – we want to have fun and we want to create an enjoyable experience both internally and externally. Um, and by following those, those pillars and providing great service, but also making it a little bit light and fun. We've had, um, you know, we've just had great success. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, you know, I did want to, I did want to come back to talk about the culture, but I wanted to ask this first. So when you, when you did open your doors in 2017, was your goal to be a carrier, like a or you know a broker? What was the the very first thing you wanted to do? Um, well, I, I think something that we're we're really proud of is we wrote our our business plan. It wasn't overly lengthy; maybe it was twelve, fifteen pages. But when we started, um, we we knew that we needed some things, and the first thing that we needed was at least a couple of trucks. Our business model was to be asset light um, and to do a lot of brokerage work. Um, however, we knew to be, you know, considered um, a primary vendor for many of the customers that we wanted to deal with. Having our own fleet is really important. So today we run, you know, 25 plus trucks. Um, we do have some of our own chassis. We're primarily uh, in, in just a couple of ports and then we're feeding transload warehouses and feeding the over the road model. So, um, you know, we've stayed very true to that being asset light on day one, we had one truck. Um, yes, sir. But we, we knew we needed one to get started. Yes, sir. You got to have that active MC so that you can, uh, you know, speak with your chest out. So no, I definitely hear you there. And, uh, you have ballooned to 25 plus units. Uh, so no, that's, that's, that's awesome. And in five years, uh, that's how many employees? So we have about, uh, 50 office employees between accounting and brokerage. Uh, and then we have, uh, approximately the 25 drivers on board. So in, in total, we have probably about 75, uh, employees and, you know, our total, um, revenue, um, this year we expect to be between 200 and $250 million. So we've grown very, very swiftly. 
Um, and it's been because of our concentration on those core pillars, culture, service, tech, and trucks, take care of the, take care of the people internally and externally. Yes, sir. Look, man, I, before we move on, I just, I definitely have to say kudos to you and the team, um, you know, going from zero dollars to uh, projecting upwards of 250 million in five years. I say that's a job well done and it needs to be, you know, it, you know, celebrated. So congratulations to that. And, um, you know, even in that same breath, you, you speak about culture. Um, that is very important. And everything that I've seen about people uh, from your organization, they're excited. They're very excited to be working there, you know, uh, always bragging about, you know, what they're able to do in their downtime, coupled with, you know, the the type of experiences they get to have at some of your offsite locations. Um, so. How, why did you feel as though culture and, and pouring into your your people um, was going to be the right move when you started this company? Um, one of the things I always talk about with the leadership team, and we just had uh, you know a, a little convo with this yesterday, was human capital. You know, I'm very proud of my career. I think I'm good at what I do, but there's only one BK, so I can only get a hundred percent of me, and even if we can only get 90 or 95% of everybody else that we have on board, um, those, that human capital is super important. If you've got 50 people doing 90%, you've got 4,500% of what BK can do on his own. And I, I recognize that uh, very early on in, in my career. And it's always been a focus of, you know, we need more people, but you need those people to be, you know, happy and engaged and effective. And I think we do a really good job of that. And, you know, we're, we're rated as one of the great places to work. You know, there's a, a certification that you can get. And I do think we've got 90 plus percent uh, engagement out of all of our employees. And that's an A. You know, if you're in the 90s on your right. at school, <laughs> you're getting an A. And I tell everybody, you know, everybody wants to get a hundred or they're down when something doesn't go the right way, but you got to have some perspective too. And if you're doing 90 plus, you're doing, you're doing good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is awesome. Uh, you know, continuing on the culture, you know, you guys do this one thing that I thought was very, very, uh, I think it's awesome. You know, bingo, you know, when you guys highlight the employees, can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, that came from one of our original members, Adam Cunningham, and uh, he would always walk around the office saying bingo, and we kind of adopted that, and it started as, you know, an accolade, and a customer, an employee, um, so we just kept this bingo file of all these accolades that we were racking up week after week, and then we started, you know, our employee of the month is called the, the bingo award winner. And that's somebody that has done something, you know, outstanding to help the customer experience um, and, or, you know, part of winning a bingo and, and, and part of what we consider bingos is random acts of kindness. And that really ties back to our culture. And that could be sending somebody a card going out of your way to help somebody. Um, and we do that both internally and externally. And it, it really resonates and, and helps us, one, be fulfilled, and two, grow the business. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do you feel like you ever, you've, like, gained customers, like, that you can, you know, tangibly track back to some type of altruism of giving back or just kindness? Do you think that you can track it back to something like that? Um, we could definitely track some of it. Um, uh, I definitely know there's customers that have seen the things that we do, and some of it be on LinkedIn, some of it you know, maybe they were a little bit edgy and, and maybe they had some crap going on in their home life, whatever. And then they've gotten one of our cards that our team members send out every week. And all of a sudden the, the, the resistance just drops and they're like, Oh, well, these are just humans on the other end trying to do good. Like I am. And that partnership can blossom at that point. Cause they're just looking at us as like humans trying to do good. Right. And, and it's not like, you know, this blood sucking business that's trying to just fleece me for, for all the work that I've got. Right, right, right. And I hear you there, brother. Definitely hear you there. And, you know, even just to go back to five years of being in business or just shy of five years and, 
growing to almost 80 employees total. And, you know, just everything that you're doing. I'm in a spot where I opened a company uh, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. Um, so Atlanta Dispatch LLC, and I'm in the process of building my company and I'm, I'm hiring my employees and I'm in a spot where just like you, I, I want that mission to be all about, you know, you know, just positivity, you know, giving back. And I've opened up to my employees about input on the mission statement because, you know, you want to have people buy into the mission statement. You make them a part of the process. Um, is that something that you guys do with your leadership team? Uh, maybe on some retreats or something of that nature? Yeah, we do a couple retreats a year. Um, and first I'll start with one of our, our missions when I started it with our foundational group is we always talk about changing people's lives and building an aspirational brand, which sounds absolutely ludicrous in trucking, right? Like how can it be aspirational and how can people want to be associated with you? But by doing cool things, by being nice, by, you know, kind of pushing the envelope a, a little bit, you know, we have created that and we do have our retreats, uh, leadership retreats, uh, both winter and summer. Um, so every six months, um, the winter one is not camping outdoors, which I've promoted, <laughs> but nobody else is up for but the summer one, uh, we go to the mountains of Montana and we hike, um, could be 10 to, to 18 miles. We spend three days and two nights outdoors in the elements, in the wild with grizzly bears. And, you know, people are like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you go to like some fancy resort or, you know, restaurant or do it? And I equate it to, and not everybody agrees with me on this, but I equate it to it's really hard to start a successful business, to create a brand, to be really successful, and you need preparation, and you need perseverance, and you need follow-through. And these retreats, you can't just show up and take your backpack and walk eight and a half miles up a mountain and sleep outside for two days. There's some preparation that goes along with it. Yes, Physically, sir. Physically, you have to be prepared. Mentally, you have to be prepared. You've got to have fire starter, knives, everything that you might need to survive out there. And I really equate that to business. It's hard, and it's supposed to be hard. Because if it was easy, everybody would do it, and everybody would be successful. Agreed. Oh, man. I, I think that puts it in perspective right there, you know. Uh, you, you, I wasn't I wasn't even expecting you to take you from the, you know, preparatory being prepared and how that puts your mind in a certain place. Uh, but you're right to get to uh, the place where you guys are trying to grow. Uh, I can see how, you know, even having that as the the onset, you know, that's the prerequisite um, would definitely put you in a, a space to do some great things once you all get there. So, no, nah, that's that's awesome, man. Um Okay, cool. So you guys recently had an acquisition. Uh, it might have been in January. Uh, what was that about, and what does it allow you to do that Port X wasn't doing prior to? Yeah, you know, so it goes back to the culture and relationships and treating people the right way. And this was we bought one of our vendors. So we were a good customer and somebody that, they had said, you know, that those are some good human beings that I want to be associated with. And um, so they came to us, and Dale had come to us. He owned a company, a small drainage company in Denver with 12 trucks. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I'm, I'm looking to exit. My nephew is still here. Um, would you be interested in our business? And I was like, Dale, we're certainly interested. You're, you know, your nephew's great. Charlie's awesome. Your drivers are awesome. You know, tell me what you want. Let's work out a deal. But that came to us. That came to us. We didn't have right. to go to it because we were treating them well. So what does it allow us to do? Um, it allows us to grow our asset footprint. It helps us um, deal with some of our key customers in that market where they've got kind of big distribution centers, um, rinse and repeat type business. Um, it also, we, we, um, we're able to work with 
them and the new leadership team to acquire a bigger yard, which we can park about 80 containers. So that allows for pre-pull yard storage revenue to be accrued. And for us, we can deliver those containers on demand to the customers because many customers, as you're, you and your audience knows, like it's not first come, first serve anymore. These are all by appointments. There's labor shortages. Um, and to have that yard be able to deliver on demand was really crucial for, for some of our big customers. Yes, sir. You know what? You, you mentioned something that um, also goes back to what a, a, a recent guest um, said while on stage is that, you know, if you want things to be transactional, uh, well, you know, the other party is going to treat you transactional. So like if you're only doing a service and expecting compensation uh, and that be it, well, you're going to get treated that way. But when you want think when you want to grow the relationship and build the relationship, you know, uh, you, you just invest into that other organization. You, you show what type of person you are and how good you want to be and, you know, how, how, how much you want to build the relationship and it opens you up to different opportunities. And it sounds like that's how that Denver Express situation came to you. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that's great. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at in my, in my career as well, just um, being open. But, um, you know, I, I say all that to say that right there gave you the ability to get that, that yard. And, you know, to do a pre-pull, is that how you can offer the uh, no demerge guarantee? And while you answer that, can you also tell the folks who might not know what is demerge? Yeah, so demerge um, would be when a container is left at a port or a rail ramp longer than the allowable free time from the steamship line. So generally, depending on your agreement with your steamship lines, uh, and this is based upon the BCO or the freight forwarder. This is not us as a trucker, but their negotiations. You generally get five free days at the port, and you get two free days at a rail ramp. Now it's almost down to one free day at a rail ramp. So if you don't have that yard space and your customer can't accept the cargo due to labor or appointment situations, they're going to accrue on average, $150 to $200 a day in demerge. Um, so if we can pre-pull it and hold it in a yard and maybe charge $40 or $50 a day for yard storage instead of $150 for sitting at the port, we help our customers save money, what we call soft costs. So are we the cheapest trucker or drayage provider? Not necessarily, but if we can tamp down those soft costs, which in some instances for customers has been millions of dollars a year, we're a huge value add and it's a huge benefit to our customers, even though we might be charging a higher trucking rate. Right, right. It sounds like because they, they might be able to get more services, um, you know, with you guys. So it, in the long run, it saves in convenience versus maybe the, the individual costs broken mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, so let me ask this then, when it comes back to, you know, folks who just want to be involved and maybe even move uh, loads for you guys, uh, what are some of the things that you will want to see in a carrier uh, before you would, uh, you know, give them, give them the good freight, you know, not the stuff that, uh, you know, it's hard to get covered, but to give them the good freight, what would you need a carrier to show um, that they're, that they're willing to do in order to do that? Yeah, well, first and foremost, we try to get good freight, not like super (laughs) over heavy, really restrictive. So we try to get good freight. But in general, we need somebody um, that has an MC that's a year old. We do our due diligence on things like uh, Carrier 411 and make sure that we're checking credentials and that there's no um, bad reports. We need to make sure that the insurance is up to date. Um, you know, we have an override insurance to, to help with many customer demands and contracts. So in general, our carriers need to have 100,000 of um, cargo liability. And and then we want some, some buy-in, you know, to what we're doing with our SOPs, our standard operating procedures, with proactive communication and tracking those containers um, and making sure that they're 
uh, delivered in a timely basis. If you're in the drayage world, or if you want to be in the drayage world, one of the the barriers to entry is you need an, a UIIA interchange agreement so that you can haul these steamship line uh, containers and be able to pick up somebody else's containers. That's what's very different with containerized cargo versus um, dry band cargo is you're actually picking up somebody else's equipment. Right, right. Yep. Yes, sir. You do have to have that endorsement. Uh, you have to be registered with that organization and have that, was that the UIIE1 endorsement on your insurance? Um, yes. I, yes, sir. I appreciate you bringing that up. And look, this is something that I don't know off the, you know, I don't do too much port work myself, but um, I'm going to unveil this. And if you can fill in the blanks, I would appreciate it. Um, you know, so I have a, a broker who is also um, they have their own MC as a carrier as well. So people who want to move freight for them or containers out of a port, they don't have to they don't have to do something like they call a pin in. Like they don't have to get pinned in. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I do. And so, again, you know, I am not the nitty gritty in every single it's all good. It's all good. Rail <laughs> ramp. But in, in Savannah, for example, you're you're down there in, in Georgia. Um, you need so if you're going to go pick up a container tomorrow in Savannah, you mm-hmm. have to re- get and acquire the PIN code from uh, the Georgia Ports Authority to go pick up your container tomorrow. So there's right. no appointments required um, at the GPA or the Georgia Ports Authority, but you do need to get that PIN the day before. So when the driver gets to the gate, he's going to type in the PIN which is basically his access code that lets him into the port to pick up that specific container. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so I appreciate you filling in that, that, that gap. And uh, you guys happen to have an office, like you have a presence down there in Savannah Port, don't you? Yeah, we started, uh, we moved Tyler, one of our uh, founding members and uh, on the leadership team. Uh, volunteered about two years ago, year and a half ago, something like that, to move down to Savannah. Um, we saw Savannah as the fastest growing port in North America. We really liked our relationship with the Georgia Ports Authority because it was one terminal and they were fairly easy to deal with and pick up from. So we identified that as a market that we wanted to expand in. Instead of acquisition, we just did it organically. And Tyler was like, I'll go. So he went down kind of, you know, figured some stuff out, built some relationships. In December, uh, we opened our transload warehouse. Um, we now have some, a couple of drivers and some owner operators down there, and we're running a drayage and transload facility out of Savannah. And, you know, I- I'll admit it was a little slow out of the gates the first couple of months. You know, you're trying to figure yourself out and where you're going and how it all works. And, um, you know, here we are, May 4th. And uh, I think we're nearly at full capacity, and the place is rocking. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, prayerfully, I'll be able to get out to the port to see that. It's been a while since I've been to Savannah. I'm talking about, like, high school. So now as a logistics professional, I do need to make my way to the port just to see what all the hype is all about, see how I can learn how to be more involved. Um, but, yeah, that's awesome, man. Congratulations on the growth. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to say this, or at least ask, why do you guys require the full one year? Is that like something specific? And while, when I asked that, you know, it's cause I own a dispatch company, you know, sometimes there is a little bit of, you know, discretion in there. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, for us, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like Port X or our management team saying that, um, it's. It's insurance is so hard to get as you've seen and many of your your you know members that are listening have seen you know the requirements from an insurance company whether it's how old the SCAC is or the fact that you you know in this day and age when there's a, a driver shortage specifically in port work and you can't hire somebody without two years of experience or else you can't insure them puts major handcuffs on our our business and the marketplace in general, but it all comes from, uh, you know, the insurance providers of what they're willing to and not willing to accept from a risk perspective. 
Right, right. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, I just wanted to ask because, you know, uh, some some uh, some brokerages do have some flexibility, but I do understand most of the time when they're when it's a little bit more rigid, it is because of the insurance company that's you know behind everything. Um, so I wanted to ask. And mm-hmm. okay, so you guys have been going for about five years, and you hooked up with a company very early in your tenure, early after you got um, started, called Turbo. What has that relationship been and meant to the growth and success of your company? Um, it's been it's been really key. Um, I looked at you know I was obviously in the business before. I knew some some TMS providers. Um, I looked at a lot in the marketplace, and Turbo was just it was for me had the best user interface. Um, it was collaborative. It had a driver app that was built in, so you didn't have to go to a third party like a macro point or four kites. So those things drew me to them. Um, the other thing was they only did straight truckload at the time, so it was point to point. It was not multimodal. It was not drayage transloading and trucking. Uh, they didn't have an integration to track vessels coming in from overseas, but um, I developed a relationship with one of the founders of Turbo, and I knew his aspirations of dealing with big companies like DHL and Ryder and, and others in the marketplace where he needed that multimodal exposure. I was like, Jeff, I, I know that PortX isn't your dream customer as a startup and we have no money, but you're looking to go down this path, and I'm willing to go down it with you. Do you do you want to go down this road together and see if we can build out this multimodal operation um, or multimodal technology? So it was really about building a relationship, um, you know, knowing what we wanted, the user interface and customer experience. We're always about customer experience. What do we want that to look like? And were you willing to take that risk on something that wasn't completely done in order for the end game to be exactly what you wanted. And we took a risk and it, it has been a pivotal part of us growing our business. Yes, sir. Cause now you have greater visibility from, you know, the, where the, where the, the freight is originating from all the way down to, you know, your driver finishing that last mile to delivery to the end customer. Um, and that's also a service that you guys can sell. Like, isn't that what you guys are doing? You also have, you, you, you also, um, you know, sell the software, the visibility aspect to some other customers. Yeah. So, so we don't charge anything that is a value add. You know, we absorb the cost, but what we offer as a trucking company or drayage provider, drayage 3PL, whatever you want to call us. I believe we're the only drainage provider in the United States and possibly the world that can help people track their cargo from origin port through destination port, through transload, and to delivery. So if you're a customer shipping a container from Shanghai to Atlanta, you can watch the vessel come all the way through the Pacific, through the Panama Canal, dock in Savannah, be transloaded. We upload photos of the transload at our warehouse, track the over the road all the way to delivery, unload and POD. And it's all available in one spot. Um, And it's available on multiple devices. So if you go on your computer or your smartphone, you open, you open the app, you type in your container number, everything is right in front of you. So it's, I call it the Google for containerized cargo. Oh, that's awesome, man. If you, uh, if you throw in geofencing in there, I, I'm gonna have to sign up for my own account. <laughs> so, uh, but no, that's awesome, brothers. That's awesome. Um, all right. So now, you know, we're in this spot in the market where uh, everybody's saying things are shifting. You know, where we're on the precipice of the trucking bloodbath. You know, rates are declining, and you know, demand is declining, or re- tender rejection is. Uh, declining, which means, you know, we have truckers have less say 
and the actual rates uh, that they are able to um, accept in order to do, you know, whatever they were doing six months ago for a higher price. You know, for you being a carrier and a broker, how does that how do you feel about the situation right now? You know, with all of the knowledge that you have um, looking at things from a global perspective, do you feel as though uh, we're we're about to hit another bloodbath or what do you say? I don't even think we're close. I think that, you know, it used to be you were a global freight forwarder or you were a trucker. And now, after the pandemic and through the pandemic, I think you're part of the global supply chain. So the U.S. truckers are are vital and they're part of a global supply chain. The IPI or inland point intermodal percentage has gone from 30% to 21%. That means that containers that used to ride the rail from LA to Chicago or Savannah to Chicago and get, get locally delivered, 9% of those now are not, which 9% sounds like, oh, that's nothing. Well, 9% for me is estimated at 2.7 million containers or 2.7 million truckloads. Wow. <laughs> so we, we've had a lot of things that have happened from the Olympics, Chinese New Year, COVID lockdown, and there's been a lot of these imports that haven't quite churned their way through the system, which has caused a lot of the domestic demand to go down. And you look at it, I look at it, you know, lane by lane, I saw something that came out from the JOC reporting DAT data and showing how the rates went down in the U.S., but they were talking in generalities, and I'll admit L.A. and Seattle over-the-road rates have tanked. They are down, um, and that is directly related to the whole China situation, but East Coast, Southeast, um, rates have held in there pretty good. Um, So, we use something called sonar from freight waves that allows us to see kind of in advance, like where we think Savannah is going to be 10 days out. So we get a little bit of a forecast and see where these containers are going to be coming into different markets and other markets that continue to dip. Um, so, so I think truckers can be a little bit more savvy in using international data in order to position their trucks where they're going to get better paying freight and there's more demand. Um, So that's one thing. And the second thing, the reason I say I don't think the market is tanking, when you've got 370 vessels in Shanghai that average 10,000 TEUs apiece and a high percentage of them are coming to the U.S., it's just wait until they start landing and these rates are going to start to go back up, especially with fuel prices. So... I see this as a short-term blip and overreaction and, you know, many people that are only in the trucking, you know, uh, arena are not looking at the whole total global supply chain. Well, I think that was very well said. Um, And, you know, having that, that global visibility, being able to leverage that platform that FreightWaves has established, Sonar, Uh, That definitely gives you a different perspective, different analytics to pull from. And I, you know, I just would I would push people to, you know, think about other ways to find where to position their trucks um, so that, you know, you can uh, take advantage of where the, the market is meeting exactly what you're seeking. And sonar is one of those things uh, or one of those tools that you can leverage. Um, to get yeah. that. And, and shameful plug for, for us at PortX. Mm-hmm. But we publish that on our blog and LinkedIn every single week. So if you, you don't go to our blog, you don't go to our LinkedIn, you don't follow us, you should. We actually take the major ports in the U.S. and we publish that every single week for everyone's consumption. So you don't necessarily need sonar yourself. You can just follow us and we will you know, help you um, with that data and then give you a little rationale behind what we think about that data. Okay. Gotcha. 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 All right. Well, I think that's a a good information to have. Um, So we'll definitely, I think everybody will definitely be able to find you guys on 
LinkedIn um, at Port X Logistics um, to be able to follow for those insights. Um, all right. So there were a couple other things that I did want to uh, just briefly touch on. And one comes to, uh, you know, something that you guys have coming up in the next few months. something that I think is very, very exciting. Um, what are you guys doing with the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center? And, uh, you know, let's talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a, I live in Bozeman, Montana now, but I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. Um, or outside of Buffalo, New York, and uh, I'm still a Buffalo, New York homer. Roswell Park um, is a cancer institute in in Buffalo, New York. Um, many of our team members, um, you know, family members, you know, early stage, early in life, 20s, going through leukemia, to grandfathers having pancreatic cancer, to uh, best friends having breast cancer. Many of our team members. Uh, and family members have been affected uh, by cancer, and we've been very fortunate, you know, and successful. And you know, we're, you know, we talk about changing lives and giving back to the community. So, um, you know, something that we're very proud of and is very important to us is, is supporting the, that community. And what we're doing is we are the uh, primary sponsor for the Empire State Ride, which is where a group of riders. Um, travels from Long Island to Niagara Falls, New York, um, on bicycle, 500 miles. Um, they each raise a minimum of $35,000. Um, that's part of their, you know, sponsorship of getting it. So, I mean, that, they're not paying it themselves, but they're, they're raising money and donations. Um, and they raise millions of dollars every year through the Empire State Ride. Um, and this is our first year as the primary sponsor. We're very proud of it. And we've even got our young marketing guy, Jimmy, is volunteered to do the ride with the team and uh, kind of video and photo and keep a chronicle of the whole thing. So he is currently in training in order to make uh, the 500-mile ride along with all the other team members. Man, uh, I think the furthest I've ever ridden a bike in one sitting, it might have been. 15 miles, but <laughs> so 500 going through the elements, different elevation. Jesus, you know, I'm just going to pray for young Jimmy there because yeah. I think it's six, six days that they spend. And, um, at night when they pull over, they, uh, there is a truck that goes along with them, but they have to sleep in a tent. So they, they go to like a, you know, campsite, sleep in a tent, get up the next day and go another hundred miles. Man, this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity that, you know, most people don't get. So, uh, you know, kudos to Jimmy. Maybe this will inspire something in me in the future. Who knows? But uh, I think I definitely think that it's for a great cause. And I, I for sure wanted to bring it up um, because, you know, companies that are at your level, you know, or, you know, you're projected to do 200 to 250 million and for you to. Uh, definitely make it a, a part to give back and be, uh, you know, just charitable. Uh, I think that means a lot. A lot of people get lost in the sauce once they start making money. So um, if, if you guys are doing stuff like that, I'm very happy to highlight it. Um, so, yeah, um, outside of that, man, uh, did you have anything that you wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about? I know that the I know that your 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 platform uh, on the technology side can do a lot more than what we really talked about in this small, uh, discussion. Uh, but anything that you wanted to mention to, to, to let the folks know that are going to hear this live or in the future, um, you know, definitely here for it. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, me getting started, um, uh, just so everybody knows, I got started in this business when I was 19 and I was an intern. I had no aspirations of, logistics or trucking or no visibility whatsoever. I needed a job. I was a poor kid that grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, I got an opportunity. I absolutely loved it. And I think the opportunities in logistics and supply chain is really, is really big. And, um, you know, people can take advantage of that. There's, there's um, success to be had. I won't say money to be made because money to me is secondary, but you know, like there's other things that define success. Um, 
and dare to be bold. Like I made these decisions when I was very young, which I was, I was really lucky starting my first company when I was 23, my first logistics company. Um, I was almost too naive to know what I, you know, not know what I didn't know. I went and between me and a partner, we put a, we took out a hundred thousand dollar cash advance on credit cards. Which I'm not recommending to anybody, <laughs> but we believed in ourselves and what we could do, and we turned it into a super successful business. And in this day and age, a hundred thousand isn't really that much money. Um, but just you know, be bold. You know, believe in yourself and and make it happen because we have a lot of opportunities in, in supply chain and logistics, and I think there's. Definitely more opportunities in this line of work than there would be in accounting or retail or you name it. So, you know, it might not look glamorous from the outside looking in, but it's an awesome space to be in and, and do your best to take advantage. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, thank you so much for those wise, those wise words. Um, I did want to go ahead and open the, uh, the stage up. Do you mind if uh, we spend the next few minutes answering questions from people in the audience? I love it. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, the first person that raised their hand up. Um, if that brother is available, please go ahead and join. Um, do, do, do. All right. So we did. Hey, what's up, Kirk? How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing good, man. I, pre- I appreciate this room. I love the information. Um, I like to be on a fly, a fly on a wall whenever I come into these rooms, even though I'm usually moderators in a couple other rooms as well. But you never stop learning, and I appreciate all the info um, that you guys dropped, all the gems you guys dropped. Brian, I appreciate everything, the knowledge that you, you brought with. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, the question I had was, I'm actually in trucking as well, been in, been in this field for three years. Um, I'm also registered with UIA, um, million-dollar policy as far as insurance. I have four units. My, it, my question is... Um, as far as getting direct contracts with the port, that's where I stumble. I stumble on um, getting direct uh, ship lines contracts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, you could speak on that. Um, point me in the right direction. I could tap in with you um, on the back channel if you if you need be uh, for you to for you to walk me through that process. But can you speak on that if you don't mind? Yeah, uh, I'm going to be brutally honest and. Uh... I don't think it's necessarily in most people's best interest to get hooked up with the ports slash steamship lines. Not that the ports are bad. The steamship lines are notoriously bad payers, low fuel surcharges, kind of cheap. Um, there's other companies out there and other avenues to get freight and get consistent freight. And whether it's myself or competitors or freight forwarders, there's other avenues and other channels to get hooked up with um Good paying freight and cash flow is king in this business. And I, I would assume as a, as a guy with a four operators or four units that he's operating, like you can't wait 60 and 90 days to get paid and nickel and dimed and, and jerked around on your payments. So, um, you know, I would be more than happy if you, you know, emailed, uh, me or, or got me on LinkedIn, whatever the case might be. Um, to give you our contact information for our people who could help you out getting some freight and um, even giving you, you know, some of our competitors in the marketplace. There's plenty of freight to go around, um, and we're probably the place to get it because the legal bureaucracy, the insurance requirements, and the relatively low pay um, isn't necessarily the best with the steamship lines. Hey, I appreciate the info. Uh, I, de- I definitely followed you. I'm going to reach out to you. Hopefully, we could uh, help each other out as far as that aspect of it. Um, I do um, have four dry vans, and those are, what, those are what we're running right now. I'm just trying to see if I could diversify a little bit as far as getting into the port aspect. Um, and then later on, probably, um, I don't know, flatbeds or something. I'm just trying to figure out ways to diversify in this slow market. Yeah. Makes sense? Diversification is great. And if you get into the global supply chain with with the containers and the dry vans and or flatbeds, 
you get the drayage move, you get the over the road move, you get both, and you could use somebody, whether it's us or somebody like us, we'll do the transload on your behalf, and then you run the whole thing and you get both pieces of the pie, and you're not just beholden to uh, the over the road market after the fact. So, um, I, I, I think I think your your outset and what you're looking at uh, and how you're looking to do it is perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm definitely tap in with you. I appreciate the info, Brian. You got it. All right, Kirk. Thank you so much for coming up to the stage, brother. Uh, no now, hey, yeah, no doubt, brother. Ah, uh, Christy, what's up now, Christy Boo? Been a while. Jory, what's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm feeling blessed, madam. Yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, this is a great, great um, conversation, um, Brian. I have truly, truly enjoyed. Um, hearing about your business, your perspective, a uh, little bit about myself. I am a broker agency um, focusing specifically on drayage. I do a little bit of everything. Um, so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so um, I am extremely impressed with your multimodal technology that you're offering because the TMS systems that are out here today are not catered at all to intermodal or drayage in any way, shape, or form. So we always have to do extra work um, to be able to uh, follow and track and and have that. Uh, data that that we that we can rely on to be able to <clears throat> keep up with our movements. So that is really really interesting to me, and I think that's incredible. Well, that's awesome to hear. I mean, there's there's some other ones out there in the marketplace that you know Turbo is not the only one, but what we liked for the multimodal. Uh, and there's other ones out there too, like a Quantum Edge out of Memphis, who's very good on the trade side. I don't think their user interface is as nice. And there's um, uh, Trinium is one that is popular on the West Coast. So those are other drayage specific platforms too, um, just to, to pimp out that I've I've looked at. Um, but in our multimodal drayage transloading and trucking piece, you know, Turbo was just the one for us. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, the broker whose authority I'm operating under, I'm basically the uh, I'm pretty much the only person who does drayage. So it, <laughs> I, I got to make it work for myself. So, um, but but that that was extremely impressive. I did want to clarify, Jory. You asked a question, or you you brought something up earlier um, about brokers who also have carrier authority. And mm-hmm. utilize that carrier authority to pin um, when assigning loads to carriers through their brokerage. And um, those brokers are really the carrier side um, who, who the brokers who are utilizing the carrier authority to pin for other carriers who are not registered with UIIA. From my understanding, the carrier side is in violation of their UIIA agreement when they do that. So I just wanted to clarify for those out there because there there are some out there who do. And, oh, Lord, I am not the drainage police. I say that all the time. But it's just be aware that um, they, they're in violation of their UIIA agreement when they pin or when they allow their broker side to utilize their PIN access. Technically, well, not even technically, um, the motor carrier, or excuse me, the driver who shows up to pick up a container or pull a container from a port or a rail must uh, belong to the carrier who pinned it and be placarded as such. Um, it's kind of a, a slippery slope. Well, not a slippery slope. It's one of those things where sometimes you slide through and it's no problem. And sometimes there's issues because essentially those people who operate the gates or, you know, who, who work the gate at the ramp or at the port, um, they're the ones who would uh, be conscious of that or notify, uh, notice that. And they are third parties. And so there's, there, you know, it, it just depends on who's at the gate on, you know, those carriers who catch a load from a broker who's pinning it for them because these carriers are not registered with UIIA, at times there could be issues where they're stuck and they can't get a box back in the port or, well, you know, or, or they can't pull one out or whatever. So it's just something to be conscious of. Um, 
it, it, when, when, when you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, no, red flag, don't do that. Yeah, yeah I know you are 100% correct. So if we go to Savannah, which is the, you know, the, the port with the pins, that's where it is, right? So if we're brokering out a drayage load, it would go to our partners. Our partners would request the pin the day before if they're picking up a box on our behalf. If our own driver is going in, we request the pin under the Port X SCAT code um, to get that pin to allow our driver in. So you're 100% correct. There's a, a direct definition between um, our own driver and somebody that we would broker out. The one thing that I will say on the other end, I always I, I like to look at the customer end of it. For me, my customer does not care if I'm picking up the box or if ABC Trucking is picking up the box. They just need to know that where is the box? Has it been picked up? Can I track the driver? Is it delivered? But you are 100% correct that um, you want to be cognizant of that and not necessarily uh, giving pins out to other companies um, to go pick up your containers. Right, exactly. And I'm, I'm glad you, you clarified that point as well. Um, and, and the one thing, when you utilize your SCAT code, um, and I know you, you're aware of this, Brian, but this is more for the other um, the listeners, um, you're responsible. You're responsible for the per diem charges. You're responsible for the chassis that's associated with your SCAT code. So when you when when you give that out and you utilize it, and you're giving it to a carrier, um, you know, like on the broker side, you're utilizing your your motor carrier authority and and utilizing that SCAT code to to pin that box. If that carrier doesn't get the box back in, or if that carrier does whatever they do, um, Brian. You, you already, um, your carriers have to have at least a, a year um, active authority. And so you obviously do your vetting process um, so that, you know, but if that carrier doesn't, then you're stuck with that bill. That could be $150 and it's a lot or more. of money. It's a lot of <laughs> Like if you don't return a container for two months because you forgot about it, you lost it, whatever. I've had that happen twice. <laughs> yeah, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars in some instances, and we've had that. It happens. It falls through the cracks, and you're you're on the hook. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I just wanted to clear, you know, just wanted to clarify that, and and I'm glad you helped clarify as well um, for the carriers out there who aren't registered with UIIA who may catch, you know, they they want to get in on the port work, but they they don't have that that registration, but they see a broker posting and the broker's willing to pin, you know. A, there's, the, there's those issues, and also those new brokers will also have carrier authority or those carriers who are tempted to utilize their PIN access to help someone out or whatever. There's a lot of liability. You're really There's a lot of exposure there when you do that, and that money adds up real fast. One container can just take you down. Right, right, right. Well, thank you so much for uh, that, Christy. Uh, and, you know, for short form, the folks who don't have uh, there, if you're a carrier, you're interested in doing port work. Uh, I think there's a, I don't want to oversimplify the, the process, but if I'm going to leave it into three things, get your SCAT code, cost less than $100, uh, get that endorsement on your insurance, the UIIE1, and lastly, go ahead and register with the UIIA so that they can, uh, you know, go ahead and put that SCAT code up there and say that you are eligible to get on that port. Did I miss anything, Christy or Brian? Uh, I don't okay. think so. No, I, okay, think cool. I think you pretty much summed it up well, Jory. Appreciate you. Uh, Kurt, did you have another question, brother? Yeah, I, I was just going to add, yeah, you definitely summed it up. Um, a lot of people I notice out there that are charging people thousands of dollars to set up a UIA. It's, very, it's really simple. Um, carriers could actually set it up themselves. Um, do it the right way. Um, the only thing you uh, ship lines definitely uh, crest you have something where like a million dollar policy stuff like that. But it's very easy to set up. Get your SCAT, SCAT code, all that stuff. Um, I had it set up for two years now, and everything you guys said, I definitely uh, say yeah, everything is correct. Got you, got you, got you. And uh, I guess just to follow up on what Kirk was asking earlier, BK. 
Um, another person did want to know this. You know, if they were a carrier and, you know, they wanted to have more autonomy, more control over their ability to get freight, you know, cargo, I mean, uh, containers and know when they're going to have capacity versus, you know, it being a third party and they had the ability to front the cost up front, you know, do you think that it would be beneficial to, uh, you know, build that relationship with a, a steamship? Um, you know, if, if you have the money and, and, you know, cash is king, but you have the cash, uh, would it be beneficial then? Um, I don't think so. I just don't think they pay very well. I think steamship lines are starting to get out of the uh, drayage business. They're doing less and less what they call door moves. Um, some, like Maersk, um, are buying 3PLs, like uh, Performance Group out west, uh, Pilot Air Freight, so they're trying to get more integrated in it. But in general, I would say steamship lines are trying to remove themselves from direct delivery. They only want to do port-to-port work, which means you've got to get um, relationships with your freight forwarders and your beneficial cargo owners uh, in order to secure that freight. And, um, you know, I guess the one thing, if you want repeat contract repetitive type freight that you can count on um, and you are going to a freight forwarder level. Uh, I call it desk level Donnie. Uh, you can't be after the guy that's brokering one load at a time. You need to work with a key account manager type that is dealing with a specific customer that needs a specific solution. Right. All right. Well, that, that portion right there definitely makes sense. And, uh, you know, it sounds like relationships are key to everything in this business. If that has not already been, you know, ascertained, uh, please take heed to that now. Um, but, you know, that's that's essentially our show for tonight. Uh, I don't think we had any more hands. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and turn hand raising off. Um, I want to hey, just Brian. DK, brother. Sure. One more thing, George. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Kirk. Hey, Brian, I just checked your profile. Um, I was going to try to reach out to you, but it doesn't have your information in there. Do you mind um, putting in the, me- in the in the messaging uh, how to reach out to you as far as email, that type of stuff? Uh, no, not, not a problem at all. I will try to figure that out, and if I don't do it appropriately, um, Jory will have it at uh, it's bk at portxlogistics.com. So you've heard it verbally, and I'll try to get it in the messaging uh, as well. All right, cool. Right. I know this clubhouse thing is kind of difficult, just trying to uh, figure your way around it. So, yeah, I appreciate it. All right, Kirk, thank you so much. And, Brian, just real quickly, if you click on your profile and, uh, you know, just tap right below where your, your name is, it'll open up. And then you can type whatever you want, and it'll update in real time. Um, but – Moving beyond that, I did just want to say again, BK, appreciate you, brother. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your your time and your expertise here on stage, uh, letting us know about Port X Logistics, um, the things that you guys have been able to do, accomplish in less than five years is definitely inspirational and aspirational for the folks who are moving and shaking. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, everybody for the support, the support of the Transportation and Logistics Clubhouse over the last year and a half. Uh, I'm very appreciative. I have started posting these uh, conversations, these discussions. If you're interested, uh, go to transportationandlogistics.club. Um, you can also find this bad boy on everywhere that they have podcasts. So you just search for transportation and logistics. And probably if you put clubhouse in there, it'll be the only one. Um, Next week's show, uh, we're going to have somebody that's very near and dear to, uh, you know, my heart. I appreciate her so much. She's doing things that most folks don't do. Um, You know, she got a warehouse. She started as a carrier. She only, she has her own NASCAR, you know, who, has that. <laughs> so I can't wait to highlight her and her organization. Um, and then, you know, if you need anything in the meantime, uh, just reach out to me. I'm very accessible. Um, you know, I'm always here to help. And I guess last but not least, check us out on Mondays at 730. Uh, we partner up with the Sonar team from Freightways to let you know where to send your trucks and the places that you will want to avoid if possible. 
Um, so BK again, man, you have a blessed day. All right, guys. Well, appreciate you having me. Thanks, Jory. Yes, sir. All right now. Peace.